Thank you for joining us today in Miniature Wargaming Labs. I'm James, and I'm joined by returning guest Julian of Enemy Spotted Studios. How are you doing, Julian? I'm doing great. How are you today? I think we're doing fine. We've both got our uh, cup of coffee yeah. in the morning. We're outside uh, the hotel. They're trying to evict all the nerds Playing out of there. Playing and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, time to go back to normal operations. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're across the street here, and so I finally got to meet you face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. put a name to the, uh, to the voice, let's mm -hmm. be honest. How are you doing the sound voice? <laughs> you know, normally when we're doing this over and I say, oh, he's using a voice modulator, where are you hiding your voice modulator? Yeah, it's actually a little pocket one, you know, you gotta run it up, uh, switch the vocal cords, some <laughs> high-tech stuff. Yeah. It, it is funny, I saw you at the game design panel and I came in late and your comment about people thinking that it's not your real voice, that was literally after we first recorded the discussion my uh, wife uh, and I had. It's because you didn't want to turn on the picture. Yeah. And it was the audio, and we had those audio problems. And I was like, I bet he's using a voice modulator, <laughs> and that's why we can't make it out. And that's what, that was the audio problems. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I don't have a webcam anywhere on my computer, so... I never turned it on. So for anyone listening, this is actually Julian. It's not the AI chat GPT robot projecting. Soon. <laughs> Soon. Soon enough you won't have to do these. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so awesome. this, so I was talking to you. We're at Nova Open. It's done. How many conventions have you done this year up to this point? Like we're at seven or eight now. That is an insane schedule that's yeah. just even so brian this is like his second week in a row yeah and so he's exhausted like i think he's still sleeping like he just done after infinity for you guys to set up because you have like a whole little team mm. booth you're running tournaments it's up early down late yeah. for days at a time go home and then basically unpack repack do it all again that's got to be grinding yeah so how, how are you managing that? Because not only do you need to maintain that schedule, you have been doing several pre-orders every couple months. You've been adding new games, and Recon is the one we played this weekend. Mm. But how are you managing that time on your team? Yeah, so basically we split it out based on preference. So a lot of the groundwork is done by community organizers that are in the area. So we hit them up ahead of time, see what their schedules look like, see what kind of you know, planning we can get done, when people can be in and out. And then from there, our operations guy usually pre-plans everything when we get in, when we get out. And then based on that much time and our shipping options, especially how much we should be bringing, we then kind of run it through, have we been to this con before or what? And then that helps us figure out how much stuff we're actually bringing to it to okay. minimize that load. Yeah. Well. And the reason I wanted to lead with that, because that's when I showed up, I saw like how big your booth was, mm. how much stuff you had, like the number of people you had giving demos. Because I think a key takeaway from that, what was called a game design panel, was how inextricably linked game design and product design mm -hmm. are together. Now, the idea that we'll do a game because you love it, hey, that's a great idea. That's fine. But if this is going to be a business, that game has to be linked to products, which has to be linked to marketing. And mm -hmm. these conventions are part of that marketing drive, building that base. 
So there is actually like a tyranny of logistics that goes into running a company like Enemy Spotted Studios. And so that's why I think when you and John from Black Powder were talking, it's like, look, if you're going to run a company, um, you need to push product. And only Corpus Belli came out there. Uh, Gutierrez said, look, I need five products a month. Mm -hmm. doesn't really matter what they are. Exactly. I need five, and I need to shove them down people's throats. Yeah. Um, and there's a cycle, and there's travel. So there's a lot of moving parts if you want a game to, like, go out into the world and catch on and like you are living that so we've been following you since your beginning like how has that journey been as you discover you know the interconnectedness of product and game design yeah well it's been a lot of fun i love product design and i love operations especially it's a lot of work though and you have to kind of get used to it and kind of find your workload so that's been a big part of it is finding like a work balance especially with the new designs and who to bring on so rather than your first five hires usually being like you know, maybe HR, like the stuff you don't want to do, like the smaller <laughs> stuff. We've had to basically up-level it to higher positions, operations, things like that, so we can get that smoothie, that workload balanced out as fast as possible. It's been a lot of fun. It's taught me a lot about how to actually design the game and emphasis as well based on, you know, user interactivity, like uh, level of entrance and, like, work required to get to that end goal of, I want to be playing this game with painted models and beautiful settings and stuff like that. So it's been interesting to see. So I have to admit, uh, we did a podcast right after the convention did uh, was over, and you brought a bunch of two by two tables down to the tournament. Yeah. And Black Sight Studios terrain, beautiful setups, mm. really. It wasn't all BSS, but yeah. Well, John there loves was a them. lot. Yeah. There was a lot of their stuff there, and you had some 3D printed items on there. I love the down uh, Learjet. Yeah, yeah. They're broken in pieces. So I've never seen anyone bring that much uh, to a gaming, and it was just row after row of two-by-twos, all mm. based upon the scenarios yeah. that you're running there. So it was very well composed. It was like, man, these are beautiful tables that you're putting out there. That's why it's like, what did it take to move all this stuff out here? Uh, a lot of it was our local guys. So we okay. pre-planned with them. We provided a lot of supplies, a lot of direction on it. We helped them out. Um, but then I'd say almost 75% of it was their own creativity. Okay. Like our local guy, John, great dude, Beer Jonathan, he's like, hey, I want to run this narrative event as part of this. We're like, okay, fantastic. How can we help? You know, and we provided some certain aspects of it, especially some more um, like material stuff. And then he just built and painted all of it really? and went nuts. Wow. He had a bunch of help from his local guys, too. Um, but to John's credit, he was the, the brain behind it all. Yeah. Well, so I think one of the things that came up in that game design panel was the importance of like a local champion. Mm -hmm. So they gave the uh, example of Infinity in Albuquerque. Yeah. And talking about like this guy giving away free mob, and he was standing next to me. That's Brian. Yeah. So he was that guy. But how that grew a community in a place no one expected to be because there's a guy saying free models come and play and mm -hmm. all host the events. So that comes to you as a game company. You actually want to encourage the growth and development of champions of this game. <laughs> there's that? a lot of bicyclists around here. Yeah. So. Um, how, how has that been going? Like, how, how do you interact with people like John and foster that community of champions across the country? Because I'm assuming your conventions are kind of co-located to where you have champions, 
that's what allows you to travel so light on your as your team Absolutely. you go to these places how is that aspect of kind of not working with the average customer but like the super customer because mm -hmm. um, I, I think about you're talking about hiring your first thought do you actually need like a community engagement because I know a lot of companies have those community engagement officers. Mm. Do you have one of those? Yeah, so we have a dual role kind of customer support or community engagement specialist. And she's actually tracking a lot of times lifetime customer spend and like account spends to see who's like spending a lot of money. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're just, you know, especially um, on an e-commerce style setup, it's really hard to get that face-to-face -face connection and see stuff. But you see names popping up in orders and especially uh, when you file like warehouse reports, you can see where a lot of product is shipping. So for example, Chicago's been a big focus point or excuse me, the Illinois area. So we have a couple of guys there who we just randomly met at Adepticon who have just gone all the way in. They're getting all their game stores in and now Chicago and the Illinois area is like, they've got like 60 dudes playing in country. So were you at Gen Con then? No, I can't, Gen Con freaks me out, man. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have a chance to go there. Okay. <laughs> Because I know, uh, Sean, I didn't know if you made it to Schaumburg, Illinois, or, okay. Mm. okay. Yeah, we've been down to Schaumburg for like Adepticon, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, some of the bigger venues, um, Gen Con and Adepticon, is like packing that many people. Like, this is only a couple thousand, Storicon's yeah. a couple thousand. So you start talking about moving 80,000 people into an area. That, you know, I think of like the water logistics of that. That's a lot of water in and a lot of sewage out. Yeah. I don't need to be around that much stuff. <laughs> that much sewage, man. Yeah. That count me out. I'm surprised they don't move those big water buffalo tanks in. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I got to try when I came out here was um, the new game, Recon. And so that is your tournament game. So how would you describe Recon and why did you develop that version of the game? Yeah, absolutely. So in country, Recon's going to be a fast-paced, modern-day war game. Looking about 28 to 32 millimeter scale. Plays insanely quick. We play games under 30 minutes on 2x2 two two foot boards. You're looking at, on average, about 12 models per side, but with team-based activations rather than a traditional skirmish-style, single model by model. That allows the game to support up to larger games of 32-plus models and some vehicles. We designed Recon specifically because the in-country community gave us a ton of feedback on wanting some kind of match play equivalent. Okay. Previous in-country core rules are very great for narrative, as all of your basically checks you need to make to do something, shoot somebody in concealment, cover in the open, are baked into the unit stats. Mm -hmm. So you can easily identify, like, uh, Navy SEALs would be like 358, and then like rangers would be three six nine right so you can get some granularity in there and have some more specific things while maintaining that speed of play well they wanted something more balanced and easily adjustable for match play and that's why we created recon where you simply have one skill of like for example six or higher so no matter what concealment cover yeah. in the open six or higher much easier to identify get into and especially manage that information whilst you're in the middle of a game so the thing i noticed is you're you're right when you're teaching the game, a lot of it came down to, uh, like I played a lot of tier two operators. Yeah. So a lot of it was six up, yeah. six up. And I fought uh, that one uh, kid and he brought a squad of tier one operators. Yeah. So that's the only time I really ran into a five up. Yeah. And then um, cover, concealment, okay, take a dice away. Exactly. Shots hard, you only get one dice out of the three. Exactly. But everyone's always throwing three dice. Exactly. Uh, so that is like your grenades, Eight up, 
uncertain ones. Okay, that really simplified what were your key roles you had to make mm -hmm. there. Um, so I, I saw that simplicity translate over from like the core rules that came in the starter box and the Kickstarter, which had a lot more nuance. You were bringing in like a third heavy support team, like the yeah. guys with the machine guns. So I saw that match play, but you didn't go for a straight points mm. on the squads. It was yeah. more kind of like quick pick squads and upgrades mm. type approach. Why that one instead of the points? Yeah, we find that points leads to a lot of um, like over analysis or more like the uh, kind of analysis paralysis. Okay. And like as soon if you can get people into the game and playing as fast as possible, you're fulfilling their fantasy of what they bought. Mm -hmm. Right, they're buying these miniatures, this game to play this game, to live out these scenarios. And the more barricades you put up in front of that, this is more of a product design thing. You know, the harder it's going to be for them to get there, the harder it is going to be able to get them to convert into more of like a lifetime customer or a fan. So as soon as you simplify that squad building process, they're getting into the game faster. They're actually helping design the narrative or the fantasy setting that they're playing in because they have the squad pre-chosen for them. Oh, this guy, this is the support team because they have the machine gun. Yeah. Or maybe this is the assault team because they've, I mean, the assault special rule. Yeah. Right? So then you're, you're helping them build that setting and get to it faster. So I will say, when I showed up at the tournament, you saw I brought, like, my case of a whole bunch of different ultra-moderns from yeah. all different companies because I hadn't looked at the tourney pack or the, um, the rules for that event. So I think people need to understand is, like, when you buy the recon book for 10 bucks, that's the core rules. Mm -hmm. There's actually a tournament narrative pack that you uh, collect to actually push for the event. So yeah. there's actually a lot of event special rules in there. So I literally just showed up with my box of miniatures <laughs> at the event. Um, one of the hosts handed me the tourney pack and said, these are the forces you can pick from. And then I could go through my collection and said, you know what? But that was my squad building was literally, I think, six minutes. Yeah. There, it's like, okay, I'll take uh, tier two guys and I'll take the commandos as the upgrade, and uh, that was it. Yeah. So I did like my uh, selection on site. Yep, exactly. Something I wanted to talk about, what I thought was interesting, and like uh, other people were coming up, especially on the uh, narrative day, or were asking, what are you playing in country? Where's the rule book? It's like, well, here's the little rule book. And thank you for going for the spiral binding. Yeah. Like Games Workshop did that on one rule book, and they never did it again in the last edition, and that, Everyone loved it, but no one does it enough. Mm. And it was really helpful to like flip through the book, turn it around, and actually lay down like the spiral. So thank you for doing a spiral. Absolutely, man. Um, but what I noticed about it is, since that's the core rules, and looking at the tournament rules, there were other, some other rules I saw in there about like vehicles and like armor and pen. And I was looking at this, and it's like, you know, you're not that far off from doing lasers and robots, the way you wrote the rules on yeah. there. Um, because oh. you had you talked about like Armor X and Pen X. It's like, yeah. well, nothing in this tournament pack really takes advantage of like Pen X 4 or Armor 8. Yeah. But I saw some of your stompy robots, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that would make sense with the way this rule is written. So how flexible do you see Recon for like people to make their own tournament packs or really push outside of the ultra-modern? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So In-Country Recon is such a nice, flexible core system that you can use it with a lot of different scenarios and settings. We get a lot of dudes that are sending in battle reports using, like, um, I think they're Legion, Star Wars Legion. 
Stormtrooper guys blasting okay. at each other. Yeah, so it's really cool to see them using recon to play that out. Um, I think they just remove ranges because lasers go forever. I'm not sure how they're doing it. But it's nice to see that, and it's cool to see that. And you did bring up a good point. Uh, Blackout, our upcoming science fiction game, which is www.blkoutgame.com, is going to be using a very similar setting to, excuse me, situation of recon with the rules and a different scenario and setting in the near future in the Kill Wager universe, actually. Yeah. So that's something, since you've been focusing a lot lately on in-country. Mm -hmm. And it started in-country. Last time we had you on was close quarter battle. Yeah. You now have recon. But um, we originally talked to you about when Kill Wager came out. And then you had a faster, was it Skullcore? Yeah, it's like a, that was like our match play mode. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're developing match play. You've got a third game coming out, Blackout. So you are a game company, pure and straight. Yep. You're introducing your third game. That comes an issue of when you travel, that going back to that game design, mm -hmm. product development, but also building that loyalist base, how do you fit Kill Wager, In Country, Blackout into that travel schedule? Like I said, the tyranny of logistics. Like if yeah. you brought a van, it's like the van's only a certain size. You can't shove everything in the exactly, van. Exactly, yeah. So get a U-Haul. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine trying to get that U-Haul oh to the my garage? Gosh, no, not through DC here. Not at all. When they I don't know if you were on the back street when they so their loading dock is. Yeah, I mean next. the boys were, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when they when they back in the 18-wheeler yeah. into the loading dock of the hotel, it's like, oh my, I don't know how that guy's doing that down here. But regardless, how do you manage community development and product development for not just one game, two games, and now a third game? How are you? How do you manage that? Yeah, so we like to go deeper, not wider, a lot of times. Yeah. So that means what we're doing is basically the existing Kill Wager audience, they love the game so much at this point that when Blackout drops, they can easily use their Kill Wager models in the Blackout setting, mm -hmm. as well as quickly and uh, easily adapt that Blackout rule set to any Kill Wager models or vice versa. So it's backwards and forwards compatible simply because of the scale of the game, where Kill Wager is going to be very granular, less than six models on average, and Blackout's going to be more team or unit-based with options for like the big robots you saw. And with how flexible the system is, we already have people making fan-made profiles for stuff that might not make it into the first wave of releases and things okay. like that. So models are interchangeable. It buys into early adapters from Kill Wager. And then, of course, the rule set is going to be just similar to Recon, so very easy to pick up, very easy to get into. So Black, so your first release of Blackout won't be like you did with Kill Wager and In Country of the narrative up front and then the match play rules. You're starting straight out the gate with a match play yep. rule. Will you then reverse that and make a more narrative play rule set after that? Uh, so we've actually kind of changed the design process. Okay. Uh, it's basically going to be very, very light match play rules like you saw, mm -hmm. and then allow narrative spice to be added on top of it. We've developed like a co-product. Well, isn't that what most people do, though? Isn't that where Games Workshop is at now, of where they develop like tournament rules? Oh, I'm And then sure. they throw the yeah, narrative yeah. campaign, where you had gone the other way, narrative first, mm -hmm. then match. Um, so that's why I wanted to... Why the reversal? Yeah, so we initially started that because of the like more... We found that people really got into the lore of things mm -hmm. and like the deep settings, like I'm gonna get this weapon, this weapon, this weapon, this weapon, and it made a really great opportunity to explain the universe and what was going on. So like different weapon systems relating to different factions and the options to be like, this faction is this level of technology. 
et cetera, et cetera. But now that we've developed that as a base, we can draw from that and especially see what resonated with people while designing that more tournament light rules. So you'll see a lot of fan favorite weapons, for example, in Blackout, influenced by what people enjoyed from the original Killwager narrative. Okay. Like the short range mining laser, which is just a beam that blows you in half, right? For mining, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so that, where I'm going with, as, as you were up on that game design panel and explaining like how it's coming and like you're having to add people, can you imagine officers, that's gonna divide your time. So if anyone's looking at like Julian, say I wanna be like Julian someday, mm. um, minus the hearing loss. <laughs> Because <laughs> that gets grading after a while, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially in that convention hall when everyone's yelling at once. Yeah. But they look at you and say, I, I like what you've done. You've grown a company, a community. I want a part of that. As your time gets divided, you can't be spending your time on every aspect of the company. So do you still find yourself doing game design? Or do you find yourself doing product design? Like, as you move up, where have you had to let your focus drift away from and say, okay, you're assigned to do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the primary roles to assign out first were things like um, customer service, obviously more uh, community management-based ones, and then just get those top-level reports. Then we can talk about it as a team. So that was easy enough. But in your question, it's definitely getting away more from uh, game design, but I don't think it's a, like in a bad way because when you do more product design, it tends to make a better game. I think that's a large like focus that seems to be kind of missing in the wargaming experience is a lot of times people don't think of their games as products. I think you mentioned make it for yourself early on, stuff like that. And what you are is trying to get that experience for your customer as fast as possible. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good idea because that's what when, do inter, when they've done interviews, Games Workshop, they said the model designers drive the company. Mm -hmm. No one tells the model designers what to do. They're given, the yeah. portfolio manager comes in and says, I want underwater sea elves, go. That's fantastic. And then they design models, and then it's the rules designer's job to turn that model into a rule set. So even though a lot of their focus is on tournament play, the artist's concept of the narrative and a model designer's concept of narrative drives the models, which drives the rules, instead of, well, I need a model with like a two-inch range, and a guy with a lot of armor to fit this rule. So it's counterintuitive, but it seems to actually work better when you build the, build the rules around the model, not the model around the rules. Um, so that's what I was like, how did you arrive at that though? So, I mean, you had to play with it, but it seems like very early on you picked up on that and went with it. Yeah, it's just a matter of efficiency. You know, when oh, really? you're, yeah, okay. when you're designing a product range, you're thinking about, okay, what's going to, you know, we have to cover mold costs because we move to basically injection, like white metal style systems. And we have to cover like masters. We have to cover design time. So we have to spend that really wisely. So when designing a product, we sit down and I bring in like some of like the community. I'm like, hey guys, like, what did you enjoy about this? What did you like about it? What do you think would be balanced? It's always big robots. <laughs> little robots, you know, to be blunt, chicks with guns get in there too, like girls with guns are up in the top, and you just pick your highest product range of, you know, operator guys, and then you kind of design around that, and then you supplement in releases that might not be as popular, but you've seen a historic increase in popularity, mm -hmm. yeah, and then you can focus your design time on that. Okay, so I have noticed that you went to metal when everyone else yeah. is starting to pull away from metal, you went away from the 3D print, so uh, 
and into the metal design. Why that choice? It's all about providing value to the customer. Like, as much as possible, you want to remove the tiny frustrations. And, like, if you... And it's, it's to each their own, right? I've never had a, a problem assembling metal, but if some people do, I'd rather front load those frustrations and either have the customer potentially bail out then then you know, purchase the product, go through with it, put a lot of time into it, then have an issue with the material by breaking something, by having an unfixable damage issue to it later on. So we took the risk and it's just, it's more value to me. It's, you know, it's heavier weight, it's shinier, it looks great. We're able to get one-to-one -one details out of our metal ma uh, masters and casts and you get that plunking down and that, that yeah, it's fantastic. Plus it's true scale, so we've got very long thin barrels. And I've seen, you know, equivalent products where the, you need to bring a, a heat gun to your game to get your barrel straight. Like, it's just, it's, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know a lot of companies played with Siocast for about five minutes. Same. Um, and I found, I've commented on this channel, and I'll, but I'll, I'll beat this point home. Siocast finally merges the worst elements of mold, molding with, like, metal, molding with resin were finally brought together into one <laughs> ultimate bad idea yeah and because john john chang black powder he, okay. he played with siocast and he regrets it because of just there's certain requirements because of the temperature they run that material at mm -hmm. that the mold makers have to design for their vents which impacts the quality of the sculpt that no one tells you when you buy this fifty thousand dollar machine and then once you bought this machine it's like oh yeah it's great for terrain and big stompy robots actually not that great for big stompy robots but it's great for terrain um but i found to make it since corvus belli has gone to it i got one of their tags infinity has yes okay but only for tags Okay. They still stay with metal for the little guys. And the reason is just when they pop those vents in it, they have to be a certain size. So it takes up a lot of acreage on the model. But even then, it was like, you're still working with resin. So to get my tags, which are big, chunky pieces, to fit together right was a lot of modeling skill, a lot of time and patience. And I tried to think of the kid who won the tournament, that 13-year-old. Yeah. Does he really want to spend two hours scraping and carving and like sanding to get that joint to fit just right or as I saw him do is like primer dry bush bam yeah, you're done. on the table let's go yeah. yeah so it's like like you said that barrier to entry from what you say starts at like what material am I going to use mm -hmm. what design am I going to move for this model absolutely so I appreciate that level of community engagement and that level of thought of the whole process of getting onto the table to play a game, like yeah. really simplify. Even that our part. cuts on our molds, it's just one arm. Yeah. You know, the weapon system's straight out, usually for yeah. the most part, and then you just put an arm in there and you're done. Like, we're not gonna do the chest cavities where they fit in, things like that. It's usually just line up an elbow and a wrist and you're good, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's a lot of stuff when people think I'm gonna design a game. Yeah. What, what aren't they considering? Because, I think a lot of people in your position would just go rule book, miniature agnostic, mm. and just rely on Spectre miniatures uh, to fill out. Rely on the British to supply the ultra moderns yeah. to fill it out. You've actually become like one of the sources for like a wide range of ultra moderns to like feed 
your game. And, but that requires extra time on your part to get that community engagement of what do I even start with. Yeah. Um, so you've got to pick a spot and then grow from there. Um, so how did you pick the spot of where to start? And what are your thoughts of where you're going to grow your range? Yeah, absolutely. Without giving away too much like insider info, you know, we had a really great opportunity this year between um, other products on the market and their current positions to really come in and get a good set of releases out that would establish a nice baseline of products, especially for ultramoderns, because ultramoderns are in a unique situation where we know what they are, right? It's not like I'm going to surprise everybody by releasing SEAL Team 6, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not like, oh, this new SEAL Team machine gunner, right? <laughs> so it's, it's not like the product designs themselves or the potential inherent rules that would come with them are gonna surprise anybody. It's a machine gun, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like maybe it's a covert team. That's about as wild as you can really get with the ultra modern world, right? So we're coming in, we're gonna hit all the baselines. So we have our dev crew, we have our US Army Green Beret, you know, we have our militia teams. We have a bunch of new militia teams, like just this baseline that people wanna do because they wanna push their SEAL teams and they wanna shoot the militia bad guys, right? That's the baseline for a lot of modern war gaming. We've seen the thousands of Black Hawk Down scenarios played yeah. out, that's what people want. So we're going to give them what they want right away, and then we're going to get a little bit more wild. We have covert teams coming out this October, which are all plain clothes. We have certain elements that are basically non-bureau, um, you know, or non-army related. So we have civilian contractors and stuff that are in plain clothes, or even that might be potential militiamen, you know, Western militia style, things like that. Where it's going to start getting a little bit more wild. Well, I appreciate your push into um, Africa mm -hmm. um, because that was not this this pre-order but the pre-order before was like the push into like um both the western backed african systems and then the african militias um you don't have the full range of african colorful militias out there but i understand you got to draw a line somewhere um but have you thought so you've pushed south into africa you've got like the western nato eastern Bloc. um are you taking basically a continent by continent focus yeah, at its current state, it does look like that. Uh, I will admit, though, we're going to be avoiding Eastern Europe for the time being, except for, like, the more generic, maybe, like, if you could imagine conflicts in the early 2000s or 90s, just because the relevancy of stuff going on okay. up there is, okay. it's not cool to me to make stuff about that or, you know, kind of cop off that or, you know, other potential illegal conflicts in the world. Uh, so I, we are going to be moving to South America very soon as well uh, in these kind of situations where you have the uh, stereotypical more movie-like scenes. If you can imagine okay. like Triple Frontier and stuff like that. More Western influence in there rather than their homeland potential issues because okay. that's touching people right now. I would rather take it from what we know and might maybe more of a fantasy setting from what we know but with more realistic approach in the design. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to... So when you talk about product design, I noticed that you started putting models with the uh, NGSW, mm -hmm. Next Generation Weapons, and I don't know, that other miniature makers like, let's say, Amphalonica, have started making miniatures about like the next iteration of like a British infantry platoon with all yeah. the weapons upgrades, and that just takes me back to Land Warrior 2000 and Future yes. Combat System, um, and the French had a version of it, and it was like, it actually looked like your kill wager guys. Hell like, yeah. We're all going to war wearing clothes, and we're going to have little cables connecting to our rifle. That didn't happen. No. Was, you catch so that like, doorknob. So it's like actually looking back at those miniatures, it's like, wow, those are alternate history. Like, what if those programs had actually worked? It's like Conflict 47. That's awesome. <laughs>
that's, uh, that's a really cool way of thinking of it as like alternate history, but now. Yeah. yeah that's sick. Yeah. Um, so as I keep getting eaten by mosquitoes and people in F-150s start driving by for no reason, yeah. all week. They have yeah, nothing in their back. Me. Yeah, no, no bed. <laughs> all right. Um, is there anything you want to wrap up with? Anything you want to talk about going forward? It was that good of an interview? Yeah, that was there? great. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to see you in the flesh and uh, get out here at Nova Open and get this. Uh, well, how'd you do on the stand? Are you taking back less stuff than you brought here? Yeah, we're totally sold out. Really? Yeah, yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, so we work with Death Ray Designs. So Death Ray Designs kind of took all our stuff back that was part of our booth so we could ship it out to the next one. They just take it to our warehouse, so we save a lot of time there. And then uh, we sold to a bunch of wholesalers up there, and they really? cleaned out the rest so, of our stock, yeah. So if someone wants to wholesale to you, so one of the things I brought up in um, the game design conference is Adam from Snarling, Snarling Badger was there, yeah. and he has a new game, Majestic 13, that's the Ali XCOM thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's like you have aliens on Earth and ultra-modern guys fight the aliens. Blasting them. I like it. But he doesn't provide miniatures. Yeah. You become uh, one of the big sources for a wide variety of both, like, modern-day FBI, CIA, all the factions he represents as Majestic 13. So if I'm a store, Adam can move games. Yeah. He makes a game a year. He can move games. I now have customers coming in saying I want to buy Adam's game I need models for it so how does a friendly local game store become a get your models on their shelves like I don't want to lose the sales to online I want to grab that person at the point of sale how do they form that relationship of you with you so um, how do how do they contact you and set up that relationship start carrying your product because your packaging is actually designed to fit on the, what my friendly local game store has, because you've gone from the boxes to the actual, um, what do they call it? Clamshells. Clamshells. Clamshells, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you can reach us at products, like plural, at enemyspottedstudios.com. That'll get us right in touch with the sales team, and we'll provide a lot of stuff. We do a lot of community engagement, whether that's actually flying down to the stores and doing demonstrations, setting up terrain, providing demo tables, as well as banners and in-store promotions. So. We okay. work heavily with, I mean, that's how I found out about my games. That's how I want other people to find out about games, mine or others. And mm -hmm. I love the community that it builds. And that's good product design is getting people in as a community to further establish that actual plane of the product. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so when are the, what is the next event people can find you at? Yeah, we're going to be at Warzone Houston at the oh, end okay. of September here. And then we're going to be at uh, QuestCon slash Crucible in Florida. Yeah. Okay. Like a week after. Okay. All right, so if any of you are available or want to check out an ultra-modern game, Enemy Spotted Studios, In Country, Kill Wager, and the next, the third one again, Black... Out. Black Out. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to... You've got... All right. I have a hard time memorizing things, so... No, I'll you're get good. that one done. Yeah. Okay. Going to get a Facebook page for that one going? It's already gone. It's already gone? Yeah, okay, I'll yeah. go look for that our, one after uh, this. Our Kill Wager one got caught up on the, the Zuck... By oh. having some gun gun pictures of close-ups of the models, God, so gotcha, yeah, we're gotcha. rolling it into the blackout one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you were talking about that. It's like, no, I never thought of that as a marketing issue. My little toys have a gun. Well, like, for us, it hasn't been a marketing issue necessarily uh, in comparison to the other guy on the game yeah. design panel, but like just weird instances where it just neuters like the immediate images you, and. You're demonetized. Yeah. You can't have this picture. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, and it wasn't even like a real weapon looking weapon it was it's like a tube <laughs>
Yeah, it was weird. Whatever. All right. Well, Julian, thanks for coming on uh, Miniature Wargaming Labs. Hope to have you on in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so much. Sweet. You're kidding me. <laughs> Activity's popping up now. Yeah. Uh, why don't we stand and walk around the corner into like the neighborhood here? Yeah, man. This is gonna look like some weird king from afar. You leading me around like this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we can we can actually walk and talk here. <laughs> as, like, as long as you cut tracking. that part out, man. <laughs> I don't know if I might leave that in for like yeah. local spice, yeah. but. Um, <laughs>